Bibles really quickly to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And we're going to read from, I would say, verse 10. As I get older, my eyes don't work as good. Can I get an amen? So uh, verse 10 all the way to verse, I would say, oh, chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 10 through verse 16. Uh, but we want to do uh, just, um, just we want to pray together. Uh, Lord God, as we focus our mind and we um, just shut our mouths and we're going to talk, um, we recognize that anything that's going to happen has to come from you. But those songs today reminded me that we can surrender our here and now because you are trustworthy. You are trustworthy, Lord God. You can give you our today. We can give you whatever effort we have. We can give you whatever resources we have. We can give you our promises, our, our, our problems. We can give you our anxieties, our worries. We can give you all that stuff, Lord God. Because even if it doesn't go in the direction that we want it to go in, we know that you are in control and that you are going to guide us as your children to where you want us to be. You're going to accomplish something that's going to pay off huge dividends in the future. And it's hard for us to see it, Lord God, because our eyes are a little bit limited. So, Lord God, we're trusting you, trusting you with everything, because ultimately, if it's not for you in our lives, we have no hope. And we pray that you would speak loudly to us, clearly to us in Jesus' name. All the saints said, amen. Okay, we're going to read starting in chapter 5 at verse 10. Jesus wrapping up the Beatitudes. He says this, Blessed are you when you are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. They persecute you. They falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way... They persecuted the prophets and those who came before you. You, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by foot. You, you are a light of the world. You're a city on a hill and it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it in a bowl underneath the bed. They put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, I want you, as my disciples, I'm adding that to it, to let everyone see your light shine before men, that they may see the good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is God's word. It's powerful. It's a powerful word. Amen? Um, this was kind of tough for me. Um, this was a tough beatitude because the other ones seemed to work together, but this was a really uh, a difficult one. It's a difficult thing that he's saying. You know, the first rule of Bible interpretation, I've learned this. I learned this from the very beginning, and I was never a good uh, student, never. It's literally the Holy Spirit. When you come into it, you enter into the Holy Spirit, a uh, relationship with the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in, and he gives you a gift. But the gift is not your gift. It's his gift for his purpose. 
You know, I, I, I have a big problem. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I have a big problem when someone says, I need to use my gift. I'd like to tell them it's not your gift. It's the Lord's gift. You know what? Maybe it would be better for us to say, how can I wait upon you? How can I focus and devote myself to you? And then you use me where you want. For a long time, I knew I had this gift of teaching and preaching, but my pastor was like, I just want you to sit down. I want you to work with the youth. I want you to focus on, on being a part of the men's group. And I was like, but you don't see, you don't see, you don't see. And he's like, yeah, 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 I, I see. I, but right now, this is where I want you to be. And I was so angry about it. I felt so put back. I put, but, but I look back now and I realize God was doing something the whole time. You know what he was doing to me? He was removing me from the real me that was supposed to be. And he was taking off little bitty layers at a time. And he's still doing it to this very day. So the first thing that I learned about Bible interpretation, don't know how I learned it, give it all praise to the God, uh, was that you have to understand the original intention for whatever is being said. So this is a word that's given to us because it's an eternal word, but it's not given to us. It's given for us. There's a difference. Jesus is speaking to one directly he's saying hey you guys have chosen to come out and listen to me and i want you to hear because this is what's coming so as we listen to jesus speak to his other disciples we can then enter in and say okay what does that mean for me how does that apply in my life one of the big things you can never say is i opened the bible and god said to me no 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 he didn't he said it to someone else and he wants you to hear it he wants you to be impacted by it. There's a difference. And you know what the difference is? It's about him rather than me being at the center. And that's a big, big difference. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a game changer. So um, I want you to remember that this, this period of time was like a honeymoon period. Whoever has been on a honeymoon? Oh, they're really nice little things, aren't they? Honeymoons. Uh, but can I tell you something about honeymoons? They give you false expectations. You know what I mean? You go to places where they feed you. They give you unlimited food, drink. You go wherever you want to go. You sleep when you want to sleep. You get up. You, you know, you, you know, you're with the person you love. And, and there's nobody to stop you from doing anything you want to do. But then you know what happens. After a week's time, it's back to life. It's back to life. And then you know what? Even though we're trying to be on our best behavior, the realities of life kind of come in. You know what I mean? So this was a honeymoon period, um, but it gave, it, Jesus didn't want them to have a false expectations. As I read these scriptures, this from the, the last beatitude to the, uh, the statement on you are the, the, the salt and light of this world, I see it as a summary. It's a summary of the beatitudes. When we boil it down, Jesus is saying that my disciples will suffer if you think this is about him making wrinkle-free life for you go to joel osteen's church this ain't joel osteen's church i am not that pastor because when i read this book i don't hear those words that's an idol that he's leading them to i'm not here to criticize i'm just telling you when i read this i hear something different every christian 
Jesus is saying is called to suffering. Every Christian is called to sacrifice. But I want you to understand that the suffering that he gives to his children and calls his disciples to is not unilateral. That means not all of us are going to suffer the same way that every other Christian is going to suffer. So I don't have to worry about somehow someone breaking into my house, stealing my children, selling them to slavery, burning my house, and then hanging me and, and uh, raping my wife. Because that, that happens to Christians to this very day. Let me, let me give you a, a brief understanding of what it is to be a Christian in another world, in another country. In the Sudan, if we were followers of Christ, we would expect that our children could be kidnapped any day, any day. And the government would not step in. Literally, it, your child could be sold into slavery because you're a Christian. You could see your kid working in the marketplace and say, hey, that's my kid. And they go, no, it ain't. I bought it from this guy who stole your kid. And then you go to the police and they're like, oh, aren't you a Christian? I don't know what you're talking about. They would be kidnapped. Children are raped. Women are raped simply because they're believers in Jesus Christ. Or you could think about Jakarta. Jakarta's got a really interesting way because they're a radicalized Islam nation. They have a very, very unique way of persecuting the church. They have spies who enter in and they pretend to be followers of Christ or interested. They get in, then they find out where the church meets, and then they give all the information of where you're supposed to meet. And what they do is they don't outright attack you. They'll find the building you're in, barricade the doors, put gasoline around it, and burn you alive. They do it all the time. Absolutely all the time. Strangely, you'd think that that would cause the Christians to run away, to hide. No, 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 quite the opposite. It causes the church to flourish, so much so that even the prosecutors, the persecutors, the oppressors, they look at it and they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Something's not there. It's like Paul. It's hard to kick against the goad. You keep trying to stifle me. You keep trying to stop me. But the harder you try, the more I overcome. The more I overcome because I'm not like you. Jesus lets us know I'm nothing like you. I am the creator of all things in the universe. Nothing happens apart from my will. Nothing. What I say goes. All right. When I read Matthew chapter 5, when I read the last of these Beatitudes in a salt and light statement, I believe it is a summary of the Beatitudes. And in it, I see Jesus revealing to me God's will in salvation. And you know what is amazing when I read those? Not one time does he talk about heaven. You know, that's an amazing thing. We always think about, well, I want to follow Jesus. Why? Because I want to go to heaven. Jesus doesn't talk about heaven. That's not in his statements at all to his believers. As a matter of fact, he's more interested in how we live on earth. Did you know that it's a common belief that we're going to be taken up and taken to heaven? But the Bible tells us we will not. The ones who are taken up and taken away are into judgment. We stay on the earth. This is what God is bringing. He's bringing the heavens and the earth down here. This is where he will reign, through us and with us. Jesus doesn't talk about golden streets or pearly gates. He talks about what it looks like for you to live an eternal life right this very minute. 
right this very minute. It's all about earth, and it's how I live here. Salvation, as I see this, it's about relationships. Sometimes God will ask us to go into very uncomfortable and painful places because of our relationship with him. He doesn't say, do this and you'll get great reward. What he says is, you've been given great reward. I am your great reward. And because of my love for you and because of the love that I'm producing for you in me, I'm going to lead you into difficult places. Now, I'm not going to beat us up because we live in the United States because we're not going to suffer the same way as Christians in other places or at other times. We're simply not. But the truth is here. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to sacrifice. When I read these words, I can clearly see a father's will for his children. I have a father of four. I got saved when my, da- my son was three and my daughter was one years old. Everything changed in me. When they went to school, Christ had already taken control of my life. And I wanted for my children to be a huge success. But I can remember that my definition for success was very different from the worlds around me. Even the same definition that I had uh, like three years ago. I I thought I knew what success was. And it usually consisted of very sandy, sunny beaches, uh, a lot of money, properties, you know, a very nice car because I valued a really nice car. Um, But then somehow Jesus came into the picture and he reminded me that's that's really a pseudo life that you're looking at. It's kind of like glimmer and and it's it's sparkly but it's really empty and it has nothing to do with what i'm going to bring in the future you know i realized as i thought about them that i was never picked first for anything i was never the top of my class and it wasn't because i didn't want to put in the effort i simply just to be honest with you i was never really gifted enough i wasn't i was a little bit below average and that's just the way it was Uh, And somewhere along the way, uh, I realized that it would be easier, and that's the key word, easier, to just quit trying. Just quit trying. Because I'm like, "Ah, you know what, I'm tired of struggling. I can't seem to get this rock up the hill. I can't really seem to get any footing here. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take an easy route. I'm going to take an easy route. And that's what I did. I thought this was the only way for me to win. But I realized that by not caring, by not being inspired, by not being determined, I was living something that looked like life, but deep down inside, I knew it was really disguised death. I was deeply sad, even though on the outside, I looked like I was like this kind of, uh, you know, get high, drink, funny, happy guy all the time. But I wasn't. And when I was alone, that reality would come out a lot. So uh, when I thought of success, um, I thought it was never about my kids getting A's. You know why? Because I never got A's. You know what I wanted for my kids? And I, I say this to everyone who's in school. It was about them trying really hard to learn something that didn't come easy. If my kid could get a C because that's all they could get, but they tried really hard to get it, in my opinion, that was greater than that. You know why? Because I never got it. It was just never for me. So that's what I wanted for my kids more than anything else. 
When I thought about success for my kids, it was never about them getting that. It was never about them being great athletes. It was never about them uh, being first picked for a team and super talented. You know why? Because I wasn't. I was an okay athlete, but never the first one picked for anything. But you know what I wanted for my kids? This is what I wanted. That they would try out for teams, even if they weren't as skilled or as talented as other people. That they wouldn't be afraid to try that they wouldn't be afraid to say, you know what, I want to be on that team. I want to try to do it. And if everybody else was kind of opposing them, not wanting to give them today, they would still try to do it. That's what I wanted for my kids. Success in my eyes for my children had more to do about how they treated the outcast. You know why? Because I felt and lived like an outcast my entire life. Even though I strived to be in the center of the limelight, it just seemed to escape me. So I thought to myself, I want my kids to look out for the other kids that didn't fit in. The ones that smelt a little weird. You know what I'm talking about. I wanted when I go to the teachers, teachers, parent-teacher conferences that my kids' teachers would say, you know, uh, I think they're giving their best effort and I think that that's really great, but you know what? Your kid's attitude is really, really good. He or she is always polite. They're very, very kind. They're friendly kids. I would rather, uh, I, w I wanted them to say that your kid is the kind of kid who looks out for other kids. I didn't care if they were popular. I didn't care if they went to college. I wanted them to be faithful to the ones who they loved and generous to everyone, even the ones who didn't love them. And can I tell you something? As I read those Beatitudes, as I read that salt and light statement, that's what I see. I see a father's desire for his children. And you know what he's telling me in that scripture? He's saying, my definition of success and everyone in the world's definition of success is widely different. But I want you to listen to me because you know how much I love you. And how do you know how much I love you? Because I've proven it. I have shown it to you time and time and time again on how I've provided for you, how I've cared for you, how I've led for you, what I've done for you to provide for you. And all these things, how I could be counted on in all these things. I want you to trust in me, not because I'm telling you to, because I've shown you that you could trust in me. Can I get an amen on that? Jesus wants his children to be a light in a world that will prefer darkness. That's a fact. We live in a world that loves the darkness of denial. They want to focus on the dot. You know what the dot is? The here and now for about 85 or 90 years that you don't get to keep. They want us to focus on the dot and forget about the endless loop of eternity. People want darkness. People who live in darkness usually don't like when someone shines a light around them or lives as a light around them. It makes them very uncomfortable. So oftentimes, Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you live as someone who's in relationship to me, others aren't going to be happy with it. They're not going to applaud all the good things God's doing in your life. Actually, they're going to look for reasons to discard you to discredit you. That's the fact. Not everyone, but many will. Why? 
because it tweaks the conscience. There's a still small voice that's bringing an accusation and conviction inside of them that they're walking in darkness and they don't want to hear it. The world system that we live in wants us to be molded into its image. It wants us to value what it says is valuable. That's why I always look at what a new truck would look like. I always imagine what I would look like in that Chevy 1500. Even though I know I can't afford it. And I know to myself, I really don't even need it. But I'd look cool driving it. And you know what? Deep down inside, there's a part of my brain that believes that it's going to be that key little ingredient that's going to make things better. And we've all done it. We've bought that thing. We've reached for that thing. We've saved. We've invested in that thing that we thought was going to make that huge difference in our life. We got it and only found out it really kind of didn't do it. You know what I mean? This world will fight back by people who live in the light. They will accuse, they will exclude, sometimes they'll be overtly hostile. And they were going to be overtly hostile to the people who were following Jesus. You choose Jesus, you're choosing to not be a part of us. And they were going to get really ramped up and mean about it. The world system that we live wants us to pay homage to the altars of success, to material wealth. The prince of this world, and there is a prince of this world, applauds a life that focuses on the success of our small and temporal kingdom. He could care less if we go to church on Sunday. He's more focused on what you do Monday through Saturday. Focus on you. It's not sinful. Everyone's doing it. God wants you to do this. Success is what you should be getting. You know why? Because the ethos of the architect of this world is this. Look out for number one. His mission statement has always been the same. Worship yourself at all costs because after all, you deserve it. I counsel married couples all the time and that's what I hear all the time. I think I deserve. I've earned. And I'm like, oh you're seeing it the wrong way. The world around us, the prince of the air, wants us to invest only time and effort if it works for us. But Jesus wants us to know that it is costly to follow him. For them, it's going to cost them family, it's going to cost them community, it's going to cost them security, and it's going to cost them, believe it or not, the possibility of financial success. These people, many of which who follow Jesus, had stuff, businesses. Like, for instance, look at Peter. He had a business. You know what his business was? Probably a good $500,000 in our day. He had boats. His house was a very rich house. They found it to this very day. They know where it's at. It's a big house. This guy was a blue-collar success. And you know what Jesus said when he saw Peter? Throw down your nets, let go of your boats, and come follow me. But, 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 I... But I, I got, there's a, there's a whole lot. I got, I, I invested a whole lot in this. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's good for the dot. But where I'm taking you, it really has no purpose at all. So we have to remember, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, because he's making it an 
an unmistakable statement. If you're going to follow me, you're going to focus on the loop of eternity. You're going to fix your eyes on heaven, where I am, where I am in control, where it's about the glory of God, not the dot of this world. Because if you focus on the dot of this world, maybe you can have the success that you think it's going to offer you, but I assure you, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. You know what heaven, hell will look like for those who focus on the dot? They will walk around and they will wag their finger at God and say, how you take away from me everything I worked so hard to have? How could you say you loved me and you let me suffer for eternity? All those things that we thought was going to fill our hearts and our stomach and make us overflow, we're really going to taste Thirst like we've never tasted it before. That's what's waiting. That's what's waiting for those who reject the truth of Jesus Christ, who reject the salvation that only he can offer. Jesus, right from the beginning, sets a different standard for his disciples. You know what he says? Now listen, this is where it gets a little uh, uh, uncomfortable. He says this, your life is blessed. First of all, let's define what blessed is. Blessed means when you core it down, when you put it down to the core, the etymology, it means your life is to be envied by other people. That means other people will look at it and go, wow. When I think of a life that other people, just even to this day, sometimes, sadly, I'll think about uh, someone who has really lucrative investments. I'll think of someone who has an incredibly good severance package, and uh, not a severance package, a... uh, a retirement package. I, I think success is, in my mind, sometimes when I think an enviable life, is someone who has another home in another state where they can go to on a regular basis. They have, I was just talking with someone the other day, they were talking about how 401ks had several hundred thousand dollars in it. And I literally was like, because I saw that as being enviable. But Jesus is like, if he's sitting right next to me, he'd go, don't fall for it, kid. Don't fall for it. Because you know what? As great as that looks on the outside, he'll never get to keep it. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you what he won't tell you because he won't look at it. It owns him more than he owns it. And I could prove, I'd see that. Once that came into my mind, I was like, man, you're right, Jesus. But Jesus says, your life is envied. Listen, when you don't think that you have the right to say, I deserve Man, when I counsel, that's all I hear from people. I deserve. I have the right. I think it's only fair. You know what I think to myself? Christ had the right to say it, and only he has the right to say it, because he truly does deserve all the praise and glory in God. And you know what he did? He chose to come here to a people who would not receive him, and he did it willingly. He came here to live for a people like me who would never worship him to this very day. I do not worship him as he deserves. But he still does it. He still intercedes for me. He still holds on to me. He still loves me. He still directs me. Why? Because I'm an A student? No. It's because of a different kind of love. It's a different kind of love. Jesus says your life is blessed when you say, I don't think that I deserve He says that your life is to be envied when you don't think that life is about you calling the shots or you fulfilling your dreams 
You know, I counsel so many people and they're like, I want to get married. And I go, okay, just wait, wait on Christ. Well, I don't want to be old and wait on Christ. I, 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 I want to get married now. And I go, no, no, no. If you follow him, he'll get you where he wants you to go. He'll bring that person into your life. But, but I'm, I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid to miss out. I'm like, don't do that. You'll jump into something you won't be able to get out of, but you'll wish you didn't. Jesus says your life is blessed when you don't think that you have the right to call the shots and you let him lead. He says that your life as a disciple would be enviable when you know it's better to say no to immediate gratification in a world that is eroding under your feet and to focus on eternal glories forever. Can I tell you something? My relationship, your relationship, our relationship with Christ is going to cost us interpersonally every single day. If you have children, you are going to have to deal with them in a different way. Not about you exerting your power or your desire, but somehow being what they need you to be. Being married teaches me how to be less of me than anything else on earth. It's not about my wife. And I'll just tell you the truth. For 26 years, I despised my wife. Yes, despised her. Loved her on this side of my brain, hated her on the other side of the brain. You know why? Because when I married her, I thought she had to make me happy. You make me happy. 30 minutes into the marriage, I'm like, she ain't making me happy. And every year she kept proving she couldn't make me happy. You know, until God opened my eyes and realized she was never supposed to make you happy. I'm supposed to make you happy, Tom. That truck ain't supposed to make you happy. Those drugs you did, they didn't make you happy. Money, you think that's going to make you happy? No, no, no. That's not supposed to make you I'm supposed to make you happy. Unless it's my love that fills you, you will never know what love really is. That's what he tells us. He says, this is the enviable life. He says this, you are enviable when you seek to give pardon where you have been injured or stolen from. He says that you are ornamented by God's glory when you want to lessen the grief and sorrow of another more than you want others to see it your way. Man, that's the big thing, and I can't tell you the truth. It's not here by God's grace, but when I counsel, that's all I hear. I got the wife on this side, the husband on this side. The wife wants me to agree to turn against the husband, and the husband wants me to turn against the wife. Why? Because they want to win. And you know what I tell them? The only way you're going to win is when you give up and you give up and you realize you bring this to the table, you bring this to the table. And the only way it's going to get better is when I say, I'm not going to worry about them no more. I'm just going to worry about what get, doing what God wants me to do. And you know what that usually is? Me letting go of things. Saying, you know what? I held on to it. I thought it was valuable. I demanded it. I demanded it. I demanded it. But now I realize it has nothing to do with your eternal purpose in my life. He says, this is what it is to be envied and enviable in this life. Our life is beautified when we seek to understand more than to be understood. Do you understand? We live in a world that demands. Don't you understand what I have to deal with? We have an entire group of people that exclude themselves and try to bring themselves up because nobody knows their pain. Every new group of people does it it's this month and that month and this month and that month and you know what they're doing they're all trying to fill that void in the wrong way do you know who tried to do that solomon 
He tried to fill the voids the wrong way. And at the end of his life, he realized, man, I was chasing smoke. I really thought by you understanding me, by you being there for me, that's where the difference was going to be made. And now I look back and I realize it wasn't about that. It was about me giving my life to him so that he could use me for you. See, it wasn't ever about me. There's too many Christians that walk around with a mirror in their face. They don't even come to church on Sunday. Why? Too beautiful outside. I work too hard on the weekend. Listen, if church is an obligation, don't come. It's a gift. The, the body of Christ is a gift. Meeting with people is a gift. You know why? Because if I'm not focused on you, I guarantee I'll focus on me. Jesus says, I know you, Thomas Morris. I made you. I know what will keep you where you're at. And it isn't a life of ease and comfort. It's structure, duty, and obligation. What? I hate that stuff. Yeah, but he's like, you want what it's going to produce. You want what it's produced. Jesus says this, my disciples will go from death to eternal life. And that eternal life starts immediately and it goes continually. And it reaches new heights. And how does it reach new heights? Through the surrendering of personal rights. When I realize my life is not primarily about me, when I'm willing to suffer that way, man, I'm telling you, it eases up the pressure. I realize, you know what, sometimes it's better to listen than to talk. And that for me is hard. You know, it's better for me to give to you even if you give me less in return. Because the truth be known, my flesh in me, I got no problem giving to you, but I got expectations. And you know what I've learned? I give to people and they've never given me back a portion of what I thought they should have. And you know what it does? You know what it does. It makes you feel good. Man, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> Jesus says, that's a prison, my friends. That's death. Real life, the life that I have for you, it's about giving away. It's about surrendering. Let's keep moving on quickly. I've got 10 minutes. I used to have a friend when I started with the city. I don't want to mention his name. He was a good guy. He liked me a lot. Um, but I used to witness in a weird way because I know that people don't normally like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? They're like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. Uh, they do anything. And I talk, am I right? Can someone knock on your door? Can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? You're like, I, I got stuff on the, you're going to go. So what I would do is I would read my Bible always out in the open. I would always read my Bible. I would always carry it with me. And whenever I was in a vehicle, I would always have my radio on like Moody or Wyla, and I was listening to uh, sermons. So everybody who got in my vehicle knew that this was the deal. Some people would just ignore it. Some people would ask questions. But my buddy, who I was with a lot, we were always paired up together, he, I could tell, was agitated by it. He was agitated by it. He would never say it, but he was agitated. And then one day, I was going downtown with him, and I was listening to this thing, and he goes, you know what? He goes, you know what I hate about religions like Christianity? He says, it's for the weak. He says, it's for people who are okay with not succeeding. They look for excuses to be okay with less. And I didn't know what to say to him, so I just didn't say anything. 
But you know what, though? I know this. His dad said that to me the day that I said, Noah, you need to read the Bible because if you think this is for the weak, oh, boy, you're wrong. This is tough if you're living like this because it's about surrender. You have to fight you a lot. I remember one time, I'll tell you another story. My friends, they were all going out for beers after the end of the game. They go, and this guy liked me. He was like, it's cool. I don't care if you, you know, he's just a happy-go-lucky guy. I don't care if you believe in Jesus. You can live like the world too. And I'm like, no, he won't let me. And he goes, we're all going out for beers. And I go, great. He goes, come with us, Fitz. And I go, I can't do it. He goes, he goes, you know, man, he goes, sorry, I feel so bad for you. I go, why? He goes, because you read that Bible, you worship that Jesus, and he won't let you go out for beer. I go, you're wrong, dude. If I want to go for beer, I can go out for a beer. I go, but I don't want to. You know what he was really saying? He goes, no, I go, you. When your stomach says, I want a beer, you obey. Jesus says, I want my children to obey me. Do you know who the greatest tyrant of this world is? Jesus says, I've come to rescue you from you. You know, we always think the wrath of God is him punching from heaven and scattering the earth. You know what really judgment is? Allowing us to be in control and then reaping what we sow. He's like, I'm trying to free you from this. No, I have freed you from this. Walk in that freedom. Walk in that freedom. Sadly, sometimes Christianity can be taught void of its divine muscle. When it focuses heavily on personal peace and personal satisfaction. That sadly is a gospel that insinuates a focus on self using the cologne of Jesus. Jesus saves his people by his action. And the gift of his Holy Spirit saves his people from themselves he saves us we're saved completely because of what jesus done and then the holy spirit goes to work and you know what he does he unpacks and he pulls apart and he separates and he took and you you know as well as i do there's things that you're white knuckling and holding on to man i gotta hold on to this and he's like come on tom you know that that thing's no good let me take your hands off it until you feel free you know what my big thing was I wanted to be loved by every woman I ever thought was attractive. I wanted to be applauded by the, my own peers. And the more I wanted it, the more I couldn't get it. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you don't. But you know what I know? When I met Jesus Christ on the road, I knew one thing. He was chasing me. I wasn't chasing him. It became real clear because I wasn't looking for him. And you know what I realized? This who he was, the author of the universe, because it never occurred to me that it was anything but. He was the author of the universe, and he was chasing me and waiting on me. Why would someone with such power and magnificence wait on me? Because he loves me. And he says, Tom, if you can focus on the greatest gift of your salvation, which is my love for you, all those other things will fade away and all the lesser loves will become better loves because you won't expect them to do for you what only I can do for you. Does that make sense? 
That's why Christian marriages should be different. That's why Christian fellowship should be different. You know why? I'm going to rub you the wrong way. Because sometimes I'm real human. But you know what Christ wants you to do? Love me anyway. And don't love me for an hour and 30 minutes on Sunday. No, no, no. I want you to have relationship where you actually hang out with that. Oh, I don't want to hang out with that. I love you, Jesus, not that guy. You know what? It is? This, is a, this, is a, this is a package deal, man. This is a package deal. All right, I don't want to keep going on. The Holy Spirit will systematically put to death what is inside of us that he doesn't want. And how does he do that? I'll tell you how. By getting us to agree with him. That's how change happens in your life and my life. He gets us to agree with him. You know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't. I wanted to be a pastor until I became a pastor. And then I realized that to become a pastor, I couldn't have those things that I thought I needed to have. And you know what I thought I needed to have? About $35,000 in my savings account. I needed to work as much overtime as I could. I needed to keep my pension until I got 33 years so I could get 80% of my salary. Why? Because I like to go out to dinners. I like to buy things. And God's saying, hey man, you know, if I call you into ministry, then you're going to have to let go. And you know what? I struggled. I struggled. I just met with someone last week, and they were telling me about all the things that they said God blessed them with. And I was like, I go, hey, Lord, what's the deal? You know, I remember one time, real quickly, I remember I had this little house on uh, uh, Pacific, and the guy bought the house next to me that was just as little as mine. You know what he did? Cut the top off and put another house on top of it. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then the guy next to me saw what he did, and he cut the top off of his house and put a big top on the other house. And I pulled up, and it was about October, right around my birthday. And I pulled up, and I was tired from work, and I go, that's, that's just great. That's just great, Lord. You know, there I am. I'll tell everybody where I live, the little one right in the middle of the big woods. I go, did they go to church on Sunday? Did they worship you, Lord? And you know what? Once again, his spirit speaks loudly when we're willing to listen. He goes, what if that doesn't exist? That Friday we had a Bible study where this lady, Minnie, we had my, my house was packed. 22, 23 people. He goes, you always complain that you ain't got nothing here, Tom Beach. But all I could see is love passing each other. And I felt like this. You know, God's got a way of lifting you up by bringing you low, yeah? He's like, don't ever forget what's valuable, Tom. I saved you for these things, not those. What we're going to do is we're going to stand up. I want you to remember that following Jesus will cost. Sometimes it will come through accusations. Sometimes it will come through exclusions. But all the time, the suffering will come through self-denial. That means I have to be willing to give more and accept less. That means I have to be willing to serve and not receive recognition, applause, or an equitable reward.
This is the last word. If your relationship with Christ isn't costing you, it could be because you're not living out your faith. Does that mean you're not saved? No. That means that you need to be doing something. So I want us to take this communion, get ready, and I want you to think, Lord God, what is it that you want me to let go? What is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm insistent to do and insistent to be a part of that you're saying really doesn't have eternal purpose and won't pay eternal dividends? Where do I look to glorify myself instead of you? You know, we have to do that from time to time. You know why? Because God won't work on things that we refuse to acknowledge exist. But all you do, he doesn't say, hey, get your act together. He says, just confess. And confess it all the time. You know what? I need to do that. You know what the salvation I'm giving you, only I can produce. It's not you and me. It's you and me alone. Jesus Christ, this, this bread in the light of this message really has some intense significance. You know, in heaven, you are known as the captain of the guards, the Lord of hosts. That means all the angelic armies, they lay prostrate, prostrate before you. They live to worship you. Endless worship, 24-7. When you say go, they go, lead me, pick me, pick me. And what did you choose to do? You chose to put this flesh that you created on your divinity and come to the earth that's broken and cursed and hostile to God. Why did you do that? It is a love that heals us, that builds us up, that gives us welcome, that allows us to know that our life brings joy to God. You said that you put this flesh on for one reason, so that it could be broken and we could live in the light of your glory. 24-7, there's endless streams of mercy new every day abundant promises because you allowed your flesh to be broken for us Lord I pray that you would receive glory in our life that you would you would profoundly impact the way we think and act that you would cause us to invest minutes and days differently because of what you
Jesus, you poured out your life. The author of life poured out his life for me. Not so that you could say, look at all I've done for you, making me feel guilty, manipulating me. No, you did it so that you could look me square in the eye and go, I truly love you just as I Can I ask you, Lord God, would you cause us to trust you in a deeper way? Can I ask you, Jesus, that you would get us to trust you not only with what happens after we die, but what happens when we live. I pray, Lord God, that you would get us to trust you with how we speak to our husbands and our wives, how we do our jobs, how we treat our kids, how we act toward our neighbors, what we do in traffic, what we choose to allow our eyes to focus on, what we choose to use our money to invest in. Can I ask that, Lord God? I know that you can do it. Your blood speaks a better word than this. The blood of millions of protests. You have saved us completely. And you who began a good work in us will see it through to its completion if we just trust and stay with you. Let's go to Without your goodness, I would be desperate. Without your love, slave to the darkness. If it wasn't for the cross, and you have won me with your kindness. Chase me down when I was lost. And where would I be if it wasn't for the cross? So we lift, lift it up, and hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, I was a prisoner. Now I'm not with your blood, but my freedom, oh hallelujah, for the cross, by your stripes, and by your stripes I'm healed, by your death I live. The power of sin is overcome, it is finished, it is done. By your stripes I'm healed, by your death I live. The power of sin is overcome, it is finished, it is done. By your stripes I'm healed, by your death I 
The power of sin is overcome. It is finished. It is done. By your stripes I'm healed. By your death I live. The power of sin is overcome. It is finished. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I was a prison. Now I'm not with your blood. You by my freedom, oh hallelujah, for the cross. And hallelujah, for the cross. Hallelujah, for the cross. Father God, we are um, we're in awe of you. You don't manipulate us. Sometimes, Lord God, I can remember my mother manipulating me. Always, you know how much I gave for you. Lord God, if anyone has the right to say that to me, you do. But you don't. You know what? You gave me what you gave me because you've always loved me. And you ain't never going to stop loving me. And you know what? That's the only motivation that matters. Lord God, if there's someone we need to apologize to, let us do it today. If there's someone we need to forgive, Lord God, let us forgive them today. I don't care what they did. Lord God, we want our pound of flesh, but if we wanted your pound of flesh, we'd all be in trouble. But Lord God, we're all free, set free. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to live as free children, not in prison by our flesh, not imprisoned by the world, not imprisoned by standards that don't matter. Lord God, we love you, Lord God. Increase our love for you and for each other because of how much you love us. So increase our knowledge. Open up our minds. Help us to see every day, everywhere we go, man, God did that for me. And he's always been watching out for me. Jesus, you've always loved me. Lord God, please, Lord God, I pray. I pray that you would grab young men and women like and grab them grab them don't 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 let them don't, don't let the world get them they're, they're gonna try to get them Lord grab them we were made for you Lord God I pray Lord God that we would be a caring congregation that loves people they would come in and go man I know God loves me I felt it this very day that's all I got Lord God I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for everything. Thank you. We praise your name, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Say so. Amen. Amen.